You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole for all things geeky outside of Star Trek. I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing. Uh, And Christy Morris could not be with us this week, but I have brought in... Uh, our pitch hitter, uh, the the <laughs> one that, um, well, the one you want to hear, it's the one and only John Mills. I think if they have the choice between me and Christy, that vote's going heavily toward Christy. So, you know, but I appreciate the flattering words. Thank you. Always a pleasure to be here in the 602 Club. <laughs> well, she's definitely the prettier of the two, that's for sure. Okay, now see, let's not get out of control here. <laughs> All right. It, it's a debate, but it's not settled. Uh-huh, uh-huh, right, right. Well, uh, I think for the listeners, it's settled. And uh, you can also settle that for us over on social media. Uh, find us on Twitter, at The 602 Club. Follow us there. We're brand new to Twitter. And if you're listening to this show, please go over to Twitter, follow The 602 Club. Uh, also, you can find us on Instagram as well now, uh, and that's The 602 Club TFM. If you follow both of those places, you'll be entered to win $25 to Amazon. Uh, we're going to be doing the drawing there in September on the 21st, and you could be the winner to buy anything geeky that your heart would want. Uh, well, $25 or less. Um, or you can have, just have $25 off, you know, that thing you've really been wanting, you know, that's kind of expensive. So uh, you can also find us, uh, the entire network, on Twitter at TrekFM or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. There's a listeners-only discussion group called the Babel Conference on Facebook where you can talk to all of the listeners around the world with what's going on here on the network. Uh, and, of course, uh, Trek.fm. You can find us online, and you can go to the contact section, and you can choose the 602 Club, and you can send Christy and I an email. Also, quick uh, shout-out to our social producers, Ken Tripp at Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, Daniel Noah. Thank you so much for supporting the show through Patreon. Patreon is the way that you can support our network here and make sure everything is coming to you each and every week. It is quite expensive to put this network on, and we definitely need your help. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can be part of our team. There's some great contribution levels, but in the end, every little bit helps. Again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, John, super exciting for both of us this week because we both went back to the theater True. Uh, for the first time in quite a very long time. And, um, you know, this will not matter in uh, perpetuity. People will be able to skip this part because it won't be interesting other than a little time capsule. But I just wanted to talk a little bit. I think we have to what it was like to be back in the theater after so long for both of us to see a new movie. And not only that, but... <laughs> To hit the ground, uh, I think, with maybe the best movie I could go back to see, which is, well, Tenet. I I don't know if I'm the best person to ask about it, because you know how I feel about movie theaters in general. Uh, From my perspective, uh, where, you know, where I am, 
you know, they, they had the masks rule and, you know, they don't hand out napkins and stuff like that. So, you know, I got my bag of M&Ms and a soda and that's fine. Um, just in case anybody's wondering, peanut M&Ms are my go-to treat. I, if I go to a movie, that's what I'm getting. Uh, I'd say about 70% of the time, uh, red vines or Twizzlers, depending on what's available uh, the rest of the time. But uh, from my perspective, it was nice because I knew that the crowd size was going to be limited. And as a result, I had less concern about people ruining my experience of going to the movie theater, if that right. makes any sense. <laughs> so in a I sense, totally understand. in a sense, it was pretty great because I knew that I wasn't going to have to worry about, uh, you know, somebody being on their phone. I, I have much like anybody else on, on the planet. I have a ton of stories about, you know, just horror stories about the way people behaved in the movie theaters. But Matt, you, right. you, you go to the movies, the actual physical location, the movie theater, way more than I do. What was it like for you? Yeah, um, it was pretty great. Uh, now, where I'm living, we actually, uh, the only theater, the closest theater open to us was about an hour away. And so uh, we, we had to drive uh, quite a bit to get there, but it was definitely worth it. My uh, wife uh, found a great uh burger joint we had an incredible like gourmet burger before we went to the movies um we didn't get fries we just had the burger so we could get some popcorn at the movie and really enjoy it and we went with some friends which was a lot of fun to the movie theater and i was really surprised because the theater was i think probably as packed as it could be with the restrictions that they have mm -hmm. so it kind of showed me that and and like we got there uh you know about 15 minutes early even though we had our reserved seats and they were cleaning the theater and there were people all like outside the theater waiting to get into the theater. Like, hmm. I mean, there were, it was a good number amount of people more than I thought would be there. And so, I mean, it, to me, it really showed that uh, I think people want to go back to the, the movies. Uh, and not only that, but I went back the next day with a friend of mine because he didn't go with us. We uh, went down again and uh, again, the, the theater was decently decently packed uh comparatively when you you know think of the restrictions we have now with you know that have to have so many seats uh, be mm -hmm. between people and all that so yeah and i mean honestly it's just one of the best things that's happened like in the last like i would say six months is to, to be able to go back to the movie theater it was so much fun to be able to sit down and, and and enjoy a movie you know i loved seeing all the trailers yes i'm just like you i will make fun of the fact that we saw a trailer oh, yeah. for a trailer with yes. Dune. But you know what? What I saw of Dune, I don't care because it looks amazing. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, um, in fact, it really, I mean, it's like a minute, probably a minute 20, maybe, uh, mm -hmm. of like footage. So it's it felt like an actual teaser trailer, um, even though it's a teaser trailer for a trailer. So whatever, I didn't care because I was just getting to see, you know, some of Dune, uh, which... Wow, looks incredible. I'll just interject and say that uh, the funniest thing to me is when the final trailer is maybe about 20 more seconds of footage. <laughs> That'll be yeah. the best part of it for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, why didn't we just exactly. skip this part? You're I like, don't get wait, it. Didn't we already see this? Did, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, uh, yeah. Um, uh, to, to quote Tenet, now that part is a bit dramatic. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it was just, it was great. And I, I mean, literally cannot think of a movie maybe besides the new James Bond movie that would have been big enough and cool enough to just like have the experience to be back in the movie theater for 
right. you know, and and I just wanted to have this conversation too. And, and we'll, I promise we'll get into the movie, but you know, there are definitely movies that are made to be seen on the big screen, right? You know, oh, yeah. there are certain movies that you would be like, ah, I could see that. Huh? I mean, like. My, my friends and I got together um, last night. We watched Mulan together. We all chipped in some money, so it you know, didn't really cost us very much uh, to watch it, um, but we just wanted to see a new movie together. And, um, you know, I, I I enjoyed it, but, I mean, like, it was a movie where, I mean, it would have been fun to see on the big screen, and I would have if it had come out in the theater, but I didn't come away from that thinking, oh, man, that had to be seen on the biggest screen possible. Whereas mm. Tenet is a movie or, I mean, like Dune or I saw the trailer for No Time to Die. It's like, those are all movies that you feel like, or even Wonder Woman 84. You're like, I want to see these on the biggest screen possible. Well, I, I would actually, I'd go over to another, you know, action entry that I'm looking forward to the, the next Mission Impossible movie. Oh yeah. There you go. Uh, there, I mean, I, I will, know you F nine, you'll, you'll be, we'll, well, we'll oh, both at this point be seeing yeah. that. In the F nine. Absolutely. <laughs> F, F yes. I'll be seeing F nine in the movie theater, but, uh, it, you know, just in terms of like, you know, seeing the new mission impossible movies with what, yep. I mean, I saw the photos of the stunt that Cruz did, uh, you know, with the motorcycle off the ramp and everything. And there's a sense from my perspective where it's like, it would almost be insulting to Tom Cruise for me not to see that on a big screen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, yep. let's, you know, let's get there and, you know, be safe and everything. But at the same time, that's, that's a big monumental action sequence. That's, that's a must see on a, on a screen that just immerses you in it for sure. Well, and I totally agree. I mean, I was just <laughs> before recording, I was rewatching fallout at home mm-hmm. and, you know, absolutely. I mean, so yeah, I just think, you know, there are movies that are meant to be seen on a big screen. That That's what we, you know, George Lucas always said that about Star Wars, right? You know, oh, yeah. he made it to be seen on a big screen. That was his thought process. And, you know, you have these kind of directors like a Chris McQuarrie or, you know, um, a Nolan, uh, and, and they are working with the canvas they have purposely, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, and so, yeah, absolutely. So Tenet is a movie that the you saw it before I did, and the only thing you would say that was that this movie was relentless. And yes. I I agree with you. This movie hits the ground running and it never stops. And so I just wanted to talk a little bit with, uh, uh, about that with you because I found it so fascinating that you know the uh, I remember before movie theaters throw, closed, I saw the. Uh, opening minutes of this film in front of another movie um where mm. they did the whole opera sequence you know like they'll do that sometimes where they mm-hmm. they preview a movie by showing you uh right. and they did that with tenet and so uh, but to realize that this was the opening of the film like this scene i mean it just starts off with a bang and just like gets your heart pumping and there's all these things happening and you're having trouble figuring out exactly what's going on and why and it's like Nolan just throws you in the deep end immediately, and then mm-hmm. he makes you catch up the entire film. And I, again, I think this is one of the things that made this movie so great to come back to the theater for, because Nolan is just in a league of his own, I think, in, in many ways when it comes to the type of stories that he's telling on screen and what he's doing on that canvas. I I completely agree. I And, you know, this is the thing where I... I think I've tipped my hand. I think you have as well, which is fitting because with a movie that's structured like Tenet, we've tipped our hands already about, you know, where, where we're going to head with our, our opinions here. But in terms of the choreography of the opening sequence, uh, what's 
thrilling about it is that Nolan has used these opening sequences almost like a calling card. Mm-hmm. The Joker, yeah. the, that opening in The Dark Knight, that was the first one. That was the punch you in the face. I remember I, remember I saw that early release in a real IMAX theater in a science center. And I remember when the screen came up and you were yeah, you had that that shot going over the city and you heard the entire crowd gasp when, yeah, it, when it just yeah. when it first came in. And that was the that was the declaration. Uh, and then, of course, Bane hijacking the plane and crashing it. But you look at all of these things that he's done and he always just kicks the door in. And I, I think what's fascinating is the opera scene opening tenant. You can sit down with just this scene and you can see every skill that Nolan has picked up along the way from how he uses digital effects to how Mm -hmm. he uses camera placement to editing to music. It it's amazing to watch his career because you see it all. Every time you move along, you see it coalesce. And this first scene is a benchmark that immediately comes at you and says, here's where I am now. This is, we've built to this through my whole career and this is what I can do now. And you look at it and it was, it was breathtaking. It was amazing to watch it. I had not seen one second of the opera uh, and it blew my mind. And I was giggling in the theater because it was such a stunning opening sequence. And you know, we were just talking about Mission Impossible and F nine. Those are ter- you know tremendous action franchises. Yep. But yep. then I I come in and I watch the opening of Tenet and I say I I struggle to think of somebody who does it better than Nolan does. So you're saying nobody does it better? Yes, and considering he's such a Bond fan as we are, it's completely fitting. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. I. I mean. I think that that is quite an apt comparison you know like the idea of of bond right and 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 the type of action um and and i i think you know you kind of walking through the nolan history is is so key because we can see that he really does like to open his movies like this you know as i rewatched interstellar before i went and saw this and that movie also starts like that too you know because it's the dream sequence of of his you know the crash and it just really kind of throws you in to everything. And and so um, he really does like to do that, to grab your attention and not let you go. And, and this is a movie legitimately where it almost never lets up. There are a few moments where you can kind of breathe, but it is heart-pounding, intense action and and... Uh, just just story and everything coming at you every second you know this is a movie where you cannot not be paying attention mm-hmm. and you know that's classic Christopher Nolan I mean you think of uh, you know Inception was very much like that too you know where everything about that movie is building uh, so that you need every piece of information he's throwing at you in every frame to to, to put everything together and, and this is very much like that especially with the high concept that he's working with, uh, you know, with, with, you know, again, Nolan's playing with time. Well, and, and what's also, we're sitting here talking about the, the trajectory of his career and everything like that. What's also at play here 
is in terms of the the way that he's throwing the information at you, like you said, he throws you in the deep end and you compare, for instance, to Interstellar or something like that. There is a there is an intense uh, mastery of style that is somewhat unlike other directors that I've seen. There are a couple others where I could pull them out. Hitchcock would be a name that would come to me. Scorsese would be another where it doesn't matter who's doing the photography. It doesn't matter who's doing the score. It doesn't matter who's doing the, well, it matters who's doing the editing. And I'm not saying that to say that these people don't matter. I'm saying that Nolan worked with Wally Pfister for a huge chunk of his career. And now, you know, Wally Pfister and he are, are going off on different trajectories. Hans Zimmer usually does a score. Ludwig Gorenson comes in on this one, but it still looks, it still moves, and it still sounds like a Nolan movie. Even though the specific people have changed, he is apparently the type of director who's so good at communicating exactly what he wants that he always gets what he wants out of it. And that's, that's, I think, the mark of a truly gifted director is that he can select who's going to give it to him and he can communicate to them very clearly what I want and they can bring it to him. And that's how everything comes together. Yeah. And I mean, it, it what's fascinating to me was, was uh, learning that this is something that he's been working on idea wise for about 20 years, this movie mm-hmm. and that this iteration of his script has been about six or seven years. And so he has been playing with these ideas over and over in his mind. And I think in many ways, um, you know, as you were, I, I think this is where it was so great that you started kind of with his trajectory of filmmaking and, 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 you know, where we kind of really saw some of these things start to come into play big time with the dark Knight, uh, and then the dark Knight rises and then continuing on. You can tell how, this movie specifically is almost like the culmination of everything that he's been doing over, Mm -hmm. you know, the last 10 years. And, you know, he's put everything that he's learned about and, and been doing in filmmaking into this movie and then kind of one upping himself on top of that, you know, which Mm -hmm. I think is something that was really interesting in watching this. Um, And then just to know like the secrecy of this movie, like, your three main actors of Washington, Pattinson, and DeBecky, not allowed to read the script outside a locked room. Mm-hmm. Like that—that's how much this movie was kind of tried to, you know, keep it under wraps because this is truly a movie that you don't want to have ruined for you. Don't want somebody to kind of let you know how it all works. And I think that was one of the masterful things that you know the trailers were able to do is we started off talking about trailers for other movies and stuff being back in the theater but we we got an idea of what this movie was about but nothing ruined all of the surprises that came along the way everything catches you off guard and and part of that I think is his master filmmaking again he's hit the ground running and he has you focus in all these different directions and like it's hard to piece everything together until he really wants you to, which I think is really smart as well uh, in, in his filmmaking and the way that he's directed this movie. Well, and I think there there's an argument that can be made where if a movie is truly great, 
spoilers shouldn't matter because you're going if, if it's truly great you're going to see it more than once and you're going to know those tricks sure. right sure. but i would say that the reason keeping it spoiler free matters especially with a film like this is yes i'll come back i'm going to see tenet again in my life i know that right. i also know that the first time i see a magician trick i'm delighted by it that's where the emotional bond is made and the first time i see a film like this the emotional bond the memory the feeling behind it is what gets established i can come back to it and try to figure out how the magician did the trick or i may even know how the magician did the trick but it's no reason to rob me of the delight of seeing the trick performed right. for the first time right and i'll i'll say that too you know just kind of even thinking about uh the movie and as we're talking about Nolan, like this is a movie to which you want to see again because there's so much to uh, to break apart with it and and, and piece together mm-hmm. that it you long for more viewings. You know, I I compare it to uh, I and I was talking to my friend when after we saw it the second time I saw it the second time and his first time, but I was like, you know, this movie just reminds me of you know when you saw the Sixth Sense. Once you saw the secret, like the, I never cared about going back to the movie again. Like uh, the trick was over for me at that point. Um, and but this movie, there's so much going on with all the different nuances and all the different ways that he's playing with things, and all the different ways that even seeing it the second time, I started to pick up on all the little things, you know. But I knew there were so many more, and and to me, that's what makes it exciting is you continue to be able to pull a, it apart. Uh, and you know, not every movie does that well enough that you care to pull it apart repeatedly. Well, and there's also the fact that the, uh, you know, when it's put together so well, I'll actually hearken back to, uh, one of my favorite David Fincher movies and one that I think probably emotionally I have a much stronger bond with than a lot of his other work is the game starring Michael Douglas from the 1990s. And once you know the trick with that one. You could argue, oh, well, I don't need to see that movie anymore. But you do go back because Fincher puts it together in a certain way that when you do go back, you do get that delightful experience of figuring out how how many things he put in front of you that you weren't paying attention to. And then when you do pay attention to them, you say, oh, how did I miss that? Uh, and so that's where Nolan is with this. And uh, no, But the thing is, Nolan's always worked in that space. This really is, in a large sense, because, you know, when I was thinking about this the days after I saw it, I was looking for that way to describe it. And I would say that Tenet is as if Memento and Inception got together and had a kid. And it's like, if there, if if I had to pick only two Nolan movies for somebody to see before seeing this, it would be Memento and Inception. And I would say those are going to be, he's going to give you his ground rules. And that's, of course, amazing because Memento is the one that busted in and immediately established him as somebody that was going to play with montage and time in a very specific way and challenge the audience to keep up and pay attention with everything. Sure. He, and. And that's that's the thing. I, I know I'm rambling a little bit. I'm obviously a Nolan fanboy, but I love the fact that Nolan treats his audience with the respect of believing that they're intelligent. There's nothing dumbed down or slowed down in this. It's just it, it's just given to you. 
Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. And, you know, um, it's interesting because I feel like this movie, uh, I would also say this movie has a lot to do with not just the, the two that you mentioned, but I, I saw a ton of uh, Inception, uh, not just Inception, but interstellar ideas in here too when it came to the way that he was playing with time. Uh, and mm. partially that was the way in which the future was impacting the past of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, but no, I, I think that's the thing we were kind of talking about earlier is how much of, you know, Nolan's been really working with this iteration of the script for six or seven years. And you can tell that this is that culmination, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, of all of these things. And so one of the big parts of this movie, John, obviously is the mechanics of time. Uh, and in many ways, our protagonist played by John David Washington, who is phenomenal, uh, mm-hmm. is basically like a temporal James Bond and who's working to prevent people from the future from harming the past and I just have to say like Nolan takes all of the ideas of time travel and pays homage to them from classic Star Trek to like Mm -hmm. parallel worlds type of Star Trek to like I mean he he uses all of our classic tropes of time travel but then he doesn't in the Nolan way, I feel yeah. like. Uh, and I just, I was really caught off guard by how well it works, and I shouldn't be surprised. But part of that is, I mean, you know, uh, they had the theater- theoretical physicist uh, Kip Thorne who worked on Interstellar work again with Nolan on the idea of time and quantum physics to make this seem as as legitimate as possible and i really loved where they kind of come down to in the idea of time travel in this i thought it worked really well well i think the way they also you know approach the whole idea of you know well what does this mean for free will and Mm -hmm. they say at one point intent that's that's what creates the thing that echoes and goes back and it's it's one of those things where when we, when you and I, when we're here and we're, we start describing, you know, the, the mechanics that they go into, what I found in the aftermath of seeing the film is that like all truly great sort of theoretical, uh, you know, physics sort of things, it's one thing to comprehend what they're throwing at you. It's another thing to try to parrot it back. And so... Sure. It, it's 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 as much fun to figure out how would I put this as clearly as the movie did when I don't have the fi- like I to try to explain it to somebody I would want to sit sit them down in that one explainer scene to say okay that they're going to run through everything for you I I you know I, I got what they were talking about but I, I'm not sure I can convey it as clearly but right. what I loved about the fact that what you mentioned was the fact that. He is a James Bond, again, getting back to the Bond influences, who is involved in a, to borrow a term from Star Trek Enterprise, a temporal Cold War. (laughs) Which they do in the movie. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Somebody was watching Star Trek Enterprise. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Somebody was. But this idea that the, the nihilism that infects the future that's trying to take its revenge on the past is so philosophically interesting and complex 
because it gets back to this idea that he explored in Interstellar where everybody had given up, but it's Matthew McConaughey's character that refuses to and is willing to go on the journey. Whereas with this, this is, you know, Washington's in the role of the guy who's trying to defeat the defeatists, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what made this work for me, and I was telling a friend after we saw our, the movie the first time, I was like, all of that Star Trek really paid off. Yeah. Temporal mechanics, you know, right. to, to understand what they're talking about. Because, you know, Star Trek has been doing this since the beginning when it was doing time travel. And since Nolan is using all the different ideas of, of time travel, um, you know, classic time travel that you can change the events of the past to change the future. Uh, the idea of parallel universes, the idea of the grandfather paradox, you know, all of those type of things. You know, I've heard all of those and, and they make all uh, complete sense to me. But what I loved about this movie is the way that Neil destri- describes it, Pattinson's character, which is what's happened has happened. But that doesn't mean you can't influence what's happened. Right. And that's where the whole idea of like going back, you can alter or change things uh, in a way um, and and basically influence the past. Because once something's happened, it's happened. But that doesn't mean we can't gerrymander it a little bit, you know? And I thought that was really fascinating because it makes complete sense to me that you would you know be able to do that if time was this type of uh this type of commodity that you could use you know um and in many ways you know that's where specifically with interstellar where you have these future beings whether they're human or not like you know Mm -hmm. mcconaughey's character believes is is to be debated but that these five-dimensional beings that that can you know uh transcend time and and move through time just as if it was just another uh uh commodity to them you know here it's it's kind of that same way but the the rules that they come up with with going back in time and like being inverted or or you know uh reverted you know all that stuff just really works really well and and but it's also visually stunning too and i think that's the thing that everything that he's doing with the the mechanics of time also create a really interesting um, visual stimulus as well as a mental stimulus. So, like, he's found the best of both worlds to really bring this to the screen because other, I mean, instead of, like, classic time travel where you just go back and they're, you're just in one spot, you know? Like, right. you know, they have to actually travel back, you know, uh, through reversion and everything is is phenomenally interesting um so well i mean it puts a necessary limitation on the characters because a a lot of the problems that happen with um you know what let's let's go to the back to the future movies as much as i love them right as much as they're a a formative Mm -hmm. part of my past uh you know everybody who grew up with those movies they mean something to you because they're terribly entertaining but that's very much you know time travel as a plot device sort of thing where tenet excels as it seems to treat it treats time travel as if it's a real thing and this is how it would work uh, in order to happen and it has enough of a conviction of its idea to make it so that you accept it 
I spent no time trying to critique or break down the time travel in it because the way it was explained made sense. And so I said, okay, I'll go like that. You know, I, I forget who said it, but you know, somebody said there, you can only ask for one huge suspension of disbelief uh, with, with movies to, and that would be the huge suspension of disbelief. There are other little ones that, that go along the way and stuff like that, but you can't ask too much of me to buy in to what's happening. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's where this really succeeds is it's really complicated and it's really, uh, you know, in depth, but it's never at any point something where I take myself out of it and say, okay, that's just a bridge too far. You, ju- you just ask too much of me. You know, like he always right. asks just enough in the moment for you to go along with it. How did you feel? Uh, and did you figure out the trick? Did you figure out the prestige? Yeah, I, I th- this is the thing is we, we've been pretty loosey goosey with it, but it's one of those things where it's like, how much detail do I want to go into? Because this is a movie where I want people to go see it sort of thing. Um, so it's it it becomes one of those things where yeah I, yeah I I mean I'll just answer yes but at the same time um like I that's all I want to you know that's all I want to say <laughs> yeah I mean I'll go a little bit further and say that I I didn't I think intuitively my brain knew that that's what was going to happen but it was such a joy when it finally happens you know, mm-hmm. when you realize that you're basically going to go back through the movie backwards. Right. Uh, to a point before you even started is just phenomenal. And that these characters have, have been interacting with themselves and they didn't realize it until that point. Right. It's just, it's so smart. And, and like, this is the thing I loved about seeing it again was that all the mechanics of time really made more sense, but also you were, I was able to pick up on all of these different things, you know, um, you know, with like specifically like the Neil character and where he comes in and, and how he's influencing everything. And, but, uh, then picking up on the little parts of dialogue specifically that also play into the end of the movie and why we go to this specific place. And like all of these things just work so phenomenally well that it's it it really is like this elaborate uh puzzle but it's like a five dimensional puzzle you know where you're really i mean everything is working together just perfectly and it's it, and and once you get to the end you're like wow but what i really enjoy and again i i'm still going to st- stay sort of careful with it is that the big action sequence that we're all going to treat as the climax is not the thing upon which the future hinges. It's a throwaway moment that you don't think about until it plays out. uh, Right at the end. And when you catch that part of it, that for me was the joyous moment because I think it really supported the idea that, we go through this whole movie where everything 
we're conditioned to say, okay, this is the big, this is a big action sequence. This is what we're going through. The big action sequences are determining the flow of X, Y, and Z with the characters. And then the way that he resolves it is no, it was actually a small moment that decided the fate of the world. Something you wouldn't have even thought of. So something that you would have just said, oh yeah. Okay. And then you find out. And that is, I think, again, gets to Nolan's philosophies that he, he constantly returns to is that it's the small things that matter. I'll, I'll take it out of this context. I'll go back to Interstellar. Where, and this is, I guess, a spoiler for anybody who hasn't seen Interstellar. So fast forward over the next couple of minutes, you know, <laughs> if you haven't seen Interstellar, but the watch. Right. You don't think anything of it. It's simply a thing. And then it gets to the end and you go, oh, wow, everything hinged on that. And so that's what that small moment, you know, it, it, like it, it really is in a sense. You know what it reminds me of? And I know I've been rambling. I'm sorry. Is 12 Monkeys. Where have you seen 12 Monkeys? I have not. I'm not going to spoil it then. But I would urge you and anybody who hasn't seen 12 Monkeys to watch 12 Monkeys and Tenet and see how the endings are very mm. structured the same sort of sort of actually, wow, I think I just and a, a tip of the hat to Mike Schindler, who started my obsession with double features. That would be an interesting one. 12 Monkeys and Tenet together as, as a double feature would be really interesting. Sorry. No, nah, no, no, it's fine. I, I totally understand because um, I, I feel like. And in many ways, you know, Nolan is a a filmmaker that reminds me of uh, George Lucas in in many ways because they both are so, um, they're so wrapped up in filmology and and film and the stories that influence them and those kind of pour out into the movies that they make. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, Nolan is very much the same way. He's a film guy. He loves film. He loves stories. And, and what he does then with his stuff is to pour all those things that he loves into his movies. Uh, and I think, you know, it's it's clear um, that he uh, is a filmmaker through and through who actually loves film. Like, you know, he, he is a student of it as much as he is a creator of it. Yep. And I think that's what makes his film so special for so many people. So, um, and I think to me, I loved, uh, you know, I have not seen black Klansman, so I haven't seen John David Washington, anything, but him playing with the protagonist, the guy, we don't even know his name, except the protagonist as this agent for tenant this whole time. I mean, he was phenomenal. Part of it, uh, the, his portrayal was, and I realized this, um, in the scene where they're kind of changing up the plan a little bit, one of the guys says to him, this is Cowboy S. Yeah. And he's the cowboy in the movie the whole time. Like, yep. he's he's doing things by the seat of his pants the entire time, and he even has the cowboy swagger uh, mm-hmm. to go with it. You know, he has the cowboy attitude. The whole conversation he has with... Um, with uh oh michael kane you know where he's like uh yes. you know um british people don't have a monopoly on snobbery you know like yep. 
just the way he says his lines, the way he interacts with all these people who could kill him at any moment, but so cavalierly, he's just, again, he's he's basically an American James Bond. That yep. I mean, you know, that's who he is. Um, and he plays it so well. He's so likable on screen. And, you know, for all those people who you know get uppity uppity with nolan about they they feel like his his characters you know are so one note or whatever you know everything's kind of blah blah. like everything about john david washington carries this film in in a perfect way like every time he's on screen he's magnetic and i'm loving what he's doing i agree in a just world uh he becomes a huge marquee star after this like big time I want to Dude, see him in a lot of stuff. I, I, if he wasn't a, if he wasn't American, I'd love to see him as Bond. You know, yeah. um, if he, it, it, heck, make him a Green Lantern, make him John Stewart on uh, board. I mean, you know, I basically, if he's in something, depending on what the movie is, obviously, because subject wise, but I'm, I'm going to be more inclined to see it because I really liked him. But I also want to uh, specifically address that 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 criticism that you bring up of Nolan that his you know, his characters are too locked down or whatever. I like, it's refreshing to me to be in a film where everybody has a better control over their emotions than the typical method acting, uh, you know, intensity that, that people tend to bring to these sorts of features because a lot of times in action movies, it's almost as if the actors show up and get a direction from the director. I mean, who else? that tells him to take it up to 10. This is a high energy, high action piece and bring your emotions up sort of thing. Whereas the protagonist is in situations where if he lets his emotions get the better of him, everything's going to go south. So I don't want to see him have a big emotional break or a big over the top sort of thing. And the same thing is true of Cobb in inception and the same thing, but, but, What's crazy is that people would make that after Interstellar, where McConaughey's performance is so incredibly yeah. powerful. Yep. And Christian Bale's performance as Bruce Wayne and Batman is so emotive. And so, like, like I don't understand the uh, criticism of it. And it's almost as if it, it's like a... Um, it gets back to that thing that I, I almost always bring up about... Christopher Lee working on episode two, where this quote has really stuck with me, where he says, uh, you know, method acting is a method. It's not the method. There are situations where you don't need to do, you know, uh, the way Robert De Niro approaches Cape Fear or something like that. And it's still a believable character, (laughs) you know, like it's okay not to have over the top emotion right in, in in a piece like this it's okay you can do it well yeah and i i mean we'll talk about it in a minute i think you get those characters can have that um but you know one character and person that really stood out to me obviously because we're about to see him next year as batman you know uh robert pattinson you yep. know is is very famous obviously for being in the twilight films but you know his role beyond that and his life beyond that as an actor has been anything but those type of things um yep. you know he's been phenomenal i did not did not like the lighthouse uh, no. but he was great in it <laughs> he um, was great movie was okay 
It was okay. Yeah. Uh, but f- he's phenomenal here in this movie. And uh, what was one of the things that I don't... I, did you feel this at all? But I felt like he kind of dresses like Christopher Nolan in the movie. Oh, Nolan always has a him character somewhere in the mix. And yes, I completely <laughs> agree with you that like, he was yeah. channeling Nolan big time. Absolutely. And, and he is... What was interesting is that you have the cowboy in John da- uh, uh, John David Washington, but Pattinson is basically playing Bond, you know, in in a lot of ways. Like he's he's cavalier, he's funny, uh, he um, but he absolutely knows what he's doing in every single moment, and he's always in control. Um, and I was like, wow, you know, again, there's all these different types of Bond characters in this movie. But Pattinson was also, his Neil felt like a Bond type to me as well, you know, so. And I I completely agree with you. I think that Neil does feel very Bond-like, and I think that very much ties into um, Kenneth Branagh's performance. He's basically a Bond villain. Yep. Uh, yep. In, in this film. At, like, it just right down to his plan. And his outlook on life and everything like that. It's like, uh, it, it, it is seriously like you took uh, Blofeld and the man with the golden gun and, um, you know, uh, uh, whoever was Drax the bad guy. from Moonraker. Yes, yeah. Drax. From, and you just put him in a blender and you said, there's your villain. It's like, oh, okay. You know, like, yeah, I, I, I see it. I see it. And, it. and the thing is, it works so freaking well. And what I love is, again, getting back to that whole performance thing, Brano works with him in Dunkirk, which similar, you know, it plays with time and moments and and stuff like that. And it's to borrow a line, you know, it's the it, it was apparently the beginning of a beautiful friendship because this is one of the best performances I've ever seen a director get out of Brano. It is. I mean, it is. Yeah, other than his own Hamlet, which is phenomenal. Oh, his Hamlet. Uh, that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we should cover that sometime. But, like, it is uh, – uh, man, I will go to bat for that version. So, oh, me too. Oh, my goodness. Me too. Oh, phenomenal. I, adore, I got to see that in the movie theater. Uh, I, I, Oh, my goodness. It's one of my favorite movie experiences. Anyway, um, Branagh gives such a – you know, we've used this word a lot. Just talking about Nolan, he gives a masterful performance here. Mm-hmm. He is legitimately terrifying when he needs to be. He's legitimately charming when he needs to be, and he's a hundred percent believable the entire time. Like right. it, it really is just such a fantastic, uh, uh, you know, expression, a reminder, if you will, of what a tremendous talent Branagh is. And what he brings to a film. It's just yeah. magnificent. Well, and I think, you know, Branagh and, and Pattinson are are both in that camp where it's like, you know, you've seen them in things where you're like, eh. But then you get a director that just truly brings them to life. Mm-hmm. And absolutely, I agree with you. Both of them, I think, are just phenomenal in this movie in different ways. And I think that's the the range that he's getting from his actors in the movie is fantastic. Um, I actually really loved and and you, John. I don't think you know Doctor Who very well, but basically, nope. uh, the protagonist relationship with Neil is very much the relationship between River Song and the Doctor, where they're they're 
passing different ways in time. Uh, and that's what I thought was really fun. Again, uh, you can tell that Nolan's playing with a lot of different things that have been in pop culture and time travel for a long time, and he's using them all to his complete advantage. And and so that was really fun. That is, you know, uh, Pattinson's character is basically moving backwards and... Uh, the protagonist is moving quote unquote forwards in time. They cross paths and, and like for the protagonist, he has much more time with Neil coming than Neil has with him as he moves back. Like, it's just, it's so fun. It's like, mm-hmm. it's just so much fun. Um, and it makes me want to see that movie, even though it wouldn't really matter because everything comes down to this part of their relationship. So, um, yep. Love Elizabeth Debicki. Uh she is uh she was in um The Man from Uncle, which was phenomenal. Such a great film. Uh we talked about it here in the Six or Two Club, totally worth going back to. She's also in another um movie, uh, or not movie, but it is a mini series called The Night Manager with um Tom Hilson. Uh, and, um, and then the bad guy there is, um, oh, he played house. Um, you know, oh, about? um, yeah. As soon as you said it, 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 it uh, Hugh Laurie. Hugh Laurie. Thank you. Yes. Um, so she's phenomenal. She's so good. And, and the, her performance in this movie is one of the best in the film. And, and part of that is the, I really love her storyline as Kat, the fact that at the beginning of the movie, she's talking to the protagonist and she says that she wishes she was one of those women who could just dive away Mm -hmm. from her husband. And that in the end, she creates her own freedom by being the woman who is diving away. She doesn't know it though. And I just, I really loved, I thought it was such a great storyline. Yeah, I, uh, I, I agree, uh, you know, wholeheartedly, obviously. Um, I, I think that if anything, what, you know, as we're sitting here talking about it, what's, what's really, really interesting is the emotional level on which all of these actors play are all aspects, they're facets. And she is, mm-hmm. I, like, I, I don't know exactly how to put it. You know, like it's one of those things where I'm not exactly sure how to put it, but it's one of those things where she brings a certain emotional level and Pattinson brings another and, and Washington brings another and Brano brings another. And it's it's it all it's all a facet of one emotional state, if that makes any sense, where like yeah. it, it all plugs into one emotional state, which is another thing also that like you, you know I, I make constant reference back to inception, but it's a, it's it's like inception where you have you know the, the architect and the lead and the the planner and the and all of these people working together and they all operate on these different planes, but then when you put them together, it's like a jenga puzzle puzzle where everything comes together and it's it's one solid form. No, I mean, that's a great way of putting it. And I think it kind of relates to something I was saying earlier about, you know, that this is kind of like a five-dimensional puzzle. Mm -hmm. You know, like all of these dimensions are working together 
whether it's the mechanics of the time travel or the characterization of the characters and the emotions that they're feeling and you put all of them together and it's just really, really beautiful. And, you know, I loved too that you get to have kind of a a more fascinating uh, type of connection between a male and a female character where John David Washington's protagonist has this protectionist nature towards Elizabeth to Becky's cat and her son and they have a very strong connection and it could if they weren't in the line of work that they are you know with the protagonist there could be a love story there but that's but it it's it's a better love story because it's about true care for a person in need uh, and not just about romantic feelings. And I really appreciated that. And I thought it was such a strong part of the storyline that you could see, like, obviously, if this was a different type of movie, it could go somewhere. But it's never going to be able to go anywhere like that. Um, And I just really appreciated this whole idea of, of, like, wanting to take care of somebody and and get them out of and help rescue them from a really abusive situation and and give them true freedom um and they both get to work towards that and then you know and then part of it is you know she really gets to be the uh help be the architect of her own freedom as well um uh, which i thought was was a, a strong storyline for her uh, altogether And one thing that's interesting for me, and I know that this is going to seem like such a superficial, silly thing uh, to even say, but it is something that is very much rooted in knowing how movies are made, knowing how movies are shot, um, as we all do. I don't possess any special knowledge. People know how things are put. People know how stars feel certain ways about how they appear on screen in relation to their co-stars. And it, for some reason meant a great deal to me that they never cheated the camera in certain scenes so that John David Washington looked like the same height or taller than she was. They acknowledged the natural height difference between the two of them and never made it an issue and never cheated the perspective. Now, you know, like in the dark Knight rises, Tom Hardy wasn't, as tall as Christian Bale. So they cheated it certain ways and they used sound effects to their advantage and, and, and those sorts of things. But with this, it's such a, it's so oddly refreshing to see a, a movie. And I know that this is going to seem weird to some people, but it's oddly refreshing to see a movie where the general attitude is she's taller than he is. So what? Like it just, it, for some reason it just stood out to me as, weirdly significant no i think you're absolutely right because one of the things that i was thinking of the entire film is how she's taller than everyone yeah and um not only that uh but you know uh just about everybody in the movie is taller than our main protagonist right uh which i think is really fascinating and uh but it also um by but not feeling like we have to we have to do anything about it. You know, he gets to just be the height that he is. Like, I mean, look, I'm 5'9", not that tall. Uh, you know, so it's not, you know, I, I appreciate when we allow men to be the height that they are and we don't have to portray every hero as being the same. 
you know uh right and 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 so um i think that that's really cool that we get to celebrate i mean debecky being who she is uh and so she's a taller woman who cares like Right. Let, let that be seen on screen for all the beauty that she has the same way all the beauty that, that John David Washington brings to the screen with with you know his, his race his height like why people should just be who they are on screen and like we should celebrate that and and I think yep. you're absolutely right I don't think it's a small thing that we kind of in this movie just celebrate the characters for who they are and don't try to make them look different or better than what they are um they always just are who they are mm-hmm. which is pretty awesome you know so agree absolutely uh, agree. I, no that's that's a great point I, I like that you brought that up john because it was something i was thinking about i was like it was it was so fascinating especially that scene where she's walking in the kitchen and she's yeah. in heels yeah. you know and she's way taller than everyone even the big bruisers who come in to beat up yep. you know the protagonist so yeah it, it's it's such a striking a scene and it works so well um and uh you know just to embrace who these people are is as just actual people the actors themselves is really cool but but it's also a sign that nolan cast people based on their ability yep as opposed to saying no i need somebody shorter he said no she's the right actress or he's the right yep. actor there was no sort of um, because because there's you know obviously throughout the history of film there's a bias toward no my actors need to be the same height because I you know I got to shoot it a certain way I got to take it and so yeah I, like it's it's really interesting because Nolan who's so known for his artifice allows that amount of reality to come in without making it a point. You know, he, he's willing, he's right. willing to let yep. that just be what it is. No, I, I love it. Um, and I'm, yeah, again, I'm just glad that you brought that up. So I, I do have a question for you. Something that I was, I was thinking of, um, that I, I thought was, was fascinating to me, especially just, you know, before seeing this movie, having just seen Interstellar. And I wanted to see if, if it's something you agree with it. And I kind of thought of this as the idea of it's Nolan's new cynicism. Um, mm. because, uh, in interstellar, you know, when you see that movie, the five dimensional beings in the future, whether they're humanity or some other type of beings, they're helping save humanity. Um, but here we see, and, and so for the argument, you know, we'll just go with, with what, um, uh, you know, um, McConaughey's character, he believes they're humanity in the future. So, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that as well. And and this in Tenet, the future part of humanity uh, wants to exterminate the past because of what we've done to ourselves through our selfishness, uh, and and so and then you have another section of humanity which is Tenet who wants to try and preserve the past, um, and so it was fascinating to me to see this dichotomy between humanity, whereas in the future. In interstellar humanity has become these incredible beings and they're apparently very united with their goal of saving past humanity, which, yeah, uh, the mechanics of that time travel wise. Uh, so here, though, I, there's a there's this portion of humanity that wants to wipe out all of humanity, even if it means the end of reality. 
yeah like uh, absolute nihilism yeah but i don't i don't think that's nolan's perspective i think that no that's, no 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 no, no. I, i'm not saying it's necessarily no one's perspective but i'm just saying that it seems as though there's there's crept in and i don't know if it's just because of the last you know maybe five or six years but there just just seems to be a new cynicism about the way the future will view who we are now are we worth saving or not i i the reason i don't necessarily agree with it being a new cynicism uh per se is that it, your hero is always fighting against the cynicism of the world, the sure. the defeatism of the world. Let's go back to Batman. Gotham's given up on itself. And Batman, much like Superman in 1978, says, I'm going to be the symbol. I'm going to show you the way to a better uh, existence. And, it, you know, it's very much a declaration that pays off in the Dark Knight and then pays off again in the Dark Knight Rises, that sort of thing. Right. Cobb is working in a cynical way but toward hope in inception and there is a you know a triumph in interstellar but everybody in the present has given up again like gotham right i think what nolan has done is he's taken this idea of giving up put it to an antagonist that exists in the future and said if somebody was that and they had the technological know-how, what would they do? And I think that's interesting in and of itself because it opens up this idea of the true heroism of the characters is the fact that they know, they don't know for sure, but they have reason to believe things are going to go very poorly in the future, (laughs) but they still fight for it. They don't give up hope. There's an underlying hope to everything. And I think that's just something that has, uh, you know, that, that's been the, the interplay throughout his works once he moves into, you know, talking about the bigger themes uh, instead of the, the intensely personal ones like in Memento or The Prestige. Right, right. Well, and, and, and so I, the reason I posed the question because I thought it was so interesting at the very end where they talk about this whole idea of, um, you know, the protagonist and Neil are having the conversation of like, um, if it comes down to fate and faith and in many ways, I, uh, what you see is that there is a portion of humanity that where absolute nihilism in the future is kind of taken over for them. Mm-hmm. And so they will, they will try and destroy the past, even if it means that they're wrong and they can't, uh, just destroy the past and be okay themselves mm-hmm. um, because it would be better just to all be dead. And then there's the other section of humanity tenet where they believe they have faith that they can persevere. You know, mm-hmm. that indomitable human spirit, kind of, uh, you know, interstellar, what they talk about, uh, especially McConaughey's character. Um, you know, that whole idea of like, you know, we just used to, you know, uh, we used to look up the stars, and now we're just here the dirt. Uh, and the idea that we're, we lost that, and still having faith in humanity is worth saving. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I just found that really interesting, though, in this movie, because it's, I think it's a fight of, like, two, like, worldviews, and kind of also shows, and, and this has happened in many movies over the last, like, 15 years, 
But eco-terrorists are the worst. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, they're the, they're definitely the flavor, and that's going to come up in Bond again. But yeah, no, the, you know, like the but there there's a um, there's a lesson, I guess, then in the uh, you know underpinning everything of if you hit the negative messaging so hard, eventually people are going to give up. And eventually people people aren't going to be roused by excessive negative messaging to save everything necessarily. They're going to be roused to destroy it all, to say, screw it. Let's just let's just end it. And so the these these theoretical future people hit that point. And that's incredibly dangerous because they have the technology to therefore end everyone. Um, And so that becomes a, uh, you know, that becomes a sort of the thing where the destructive impulse takes over. And so you have to be so careful about how you phrase and contextualize the problems because if you oversell your point and you convince everybody that the boat is sinking and there's no way to save it, they're going to stop bailing water. You know, like uh, imagine, you know, if, if you if you go on and you, and you say, oh, you know, it shows over, everything's done, nothing you do is going to matter, and we're all screwed. Do you honestly think you're going to get people suddenly to rise up and say, Hey, let's keep fighting. Are you going to get them to say, oh, wow. Uh, well, all right. Nothing I can do. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and uh, I think you're speaking directly into what, you know, Lucas and the reason he created Star Wars, you know, was to fight against the cynicism of the age. Um, you know, the spirit of the age that has actually continued from the 70s onward uh, has been this ultra cynicism, I think. I mean, it's continued to get worse and worse and worse. Uh, and there were some reprieves throughout that that those periods. But I think it's come back in a new way. And, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, kind of seeing this, um, that no one's kind of rightly pinpointed that with these two future groups, there's either you go towards ultimate nihilism or you're going to you have to find hope somewhere, you know, right. and in something. And that that hope is what's going to give you the reason to move forward and it's going to have to be strong enough even in the face of ultimate armageddon right like yep. because obviously people in tenet are seeing the same things in their world that the people who are who are grabbing on to ultimate nihilism and so i think uh you know it it's just fascinating because it's for nolan i i feel like it's as close to it, and especially when you think about Interstellar too, it's as close to religious as you're going to get from him. But there, there's, there is this almost a somewhat religious nature, I think, to the idea that we've got to find hope somewhere, and it has to be strong enough. Otherwise, we will give in to the nihilism, and it will be our destruction. Yep. Yes. We, you mentioned earlier, and and something big about this movie is uh, the soundtrack is. Um, by Ludwig Gordonson, uh, who did The Mandalorian, and this is his first Nolan film. Uh, how did you think he did with uh, crafting a, a soundscape for this this latest Nolan flick? I think that he did a magnificent job, and I think that also it sounded like 
work that Zimmer has done for. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, it, it gets back to, I think what I was uh, you know saying earlier, Nolan, Nolan very clearly communicated what he wanted and Gorenson delivered it. And I think he delivered it very well. And I think that the score is terrific. And I think that, um, you know, he, he did everything he was asked. Do I, do I think that it's as stirring and, uh, and, you know, sort of like, uh, excellent as I would say is the Mandalorian or Creed? No, not necessarily, but I still think it was a great score. Yeah, I think, um, I think so too. I think it works really well for the movie. And I would say, for the most part, I feel like the score fits well within the film and and does what it needs to do with the film. Um, mm-hmm. And I would say um, it's akin to me uh, to what um, Lauren Baff did in Mission Impossible Fallout, which was not my favorite score for the series. But it really works with the film itself as you're watching the film. Mm-hmm. So, and there are going to be those scores, right? That where you're going to have them, and they and they legitimately are 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 ones that play much better within the film than they than they would just listening to by themselves because they're meant so specifically to go with what's going on at the screen, right? And and so I think this is one of those scores, and, and I no problem with that, you know, like a that's what this movie needed and and i mm-hmm. and i think nolan got what he wanted with the yep. sound so uh, and it works perfectly so um i guess john it really just comes down to then uh, cuz there's so much there's so much with this movie that we could talk about um yeah but i'm really just i can't wait to talk about it with people there on on social media here to see what they think but i'm wondering what your rating for tenet is uh, it's five. It's a, it's an instant five for me. Um, it doesn't need to be my favorite Nolan film. It doesn't need to be even my favorite film of the year. Uh, it just strictly on the terms of what he pulls off from a technical achievement and uh, uh, you know a choreography of things. No matter what you think of the plot, and I've seen people complain about the plot and and those sorts of things. Um, no matter what you think of that stuff, you have to respect the absolute skill he brings to his craft and what he does with this film. It is stunning on so many levels. So yeah, solid five. You know, you and I were talking behind the scenes as we often do. And we've said this before about Nolan is that he makes art. And art is something sometimes that takes time to truly appreciate, but Mm -hmm. I immediately appreciate this film for everything it's doing from the storytelling, the challenge that it is to watch the fact that it's not dumbing it down for the audience at all. It, it allows you to go on the ride, uh, and, and to enjoy the ride every moment. I think, the characters are fascinating in the film. The storyline is fantastic. The execution visually is beyond stunning. I mean, mm-hmm. that last 30 minutes, 40 minutes is akin to like the last 40 minutes of Rogue One, right? 
where you just are back in your seat and it's pure cinema entertainment mm-hmm. the whole time. Yep. This is what that's like, but that's the entire movie. Yes. You yep. know, like it never stops. And then and then I will say the last 30 minutes of this movie are just absolutely stunning. The technical achievement that it is is fascinating. But yep. I never lost sight of the human aspect in this movie at all. I mean, a lot of people, again, we, we talked about how sometimes they complain about losing the human element in, in Nolan's films. But this movie came down to me really caring about and liking these characters. And so that made the tension of those final 30 minutes. Big deal. And it kind of, it it leaves you a little bit sad when you realize that what's going to happen to Neil. Um. You know, yeah. So, I, I mean, it's um, it, it, it's it's magnificent. It really is. So yeah, I'm right there with you. I absolutely loved it. Um, five stars, absolutely. Um, and you know, for the movies that have come out this year that I've seen in the theater, this is absolutely the best movie I've seen in the theater. So <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it and and I would say so far it's the best movie I've seen released this year. Um it's it's phenomenal so uh if you haven't gotten a chance to go see it and you've been listening to this go see tenet um and so uh we'll uh we'll get back to uh the recommendations uh next week um john we we i think we were both just say we recommend go seeing tenet there is no other recommendation <laughs> if you have the ability and they have the procedures set up and and all of that stuff it is well worth your time and money in the movie theater you know, every place that that's open is going to have their, you know, that their procedures and everything in place to make it as comfortable and safe as possible for you. So, I do encourage people, you know, if you if you if you can to to go out and catch this on the big screen. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, John, uh, if anybody wants to catch up with you and see what you got going on, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me as Kessel Junkie. On your social network of choice, Twitter, Vero, Instagram, sure. Um, you can find me on those networks. You can find me uh, actually at KesselJunkie.com, uh, tip-tapping away. Uh, just had a passion for blogging again lately and got quite a streak going, so check that out. And you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network on one single-season show called House of Fincher. Uh, where we go through the works of David Fincher leading up to the release of his Netflix film, Mank. And uh, you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network on a regularly occurring show uh, that comes out every week that has to do with Star Wars called Aggressive Negotiations that I co-host with a charming fellow named Matt Rushing. Me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox, Vero under the name MattRushing02. Of course, make sure you're following the 602 Club on Twitter as well as on Instagram. You can also find me uh, here on the network doing two other shows. One is The Orb with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And we're also on Literary Treks together as we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And next to Aggressive Negotiations over in the Nerd Party Network, I'm doing Owl Post with Drea Kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter one chapter at a time each and every week. So it's a lot of fun. So and thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you're here. Thank you.